Welcome to Promises Are Just Words. This is a special bonus episode. Today we are featuring Chloe Legazzo, who is a current Matildas player and also playing in the FA Women's Super League in England. Hope you enjoyed the episode. There we go. Hey, Chloe. Hey, how are you? I'm not too bad. How are you going? Uh, not too bad. Can't complain. That's good. Uh, we're just waiting for a few more people that might uh, join us, hopefully. So there's a few students that are kind of just getting in now, if that's all right. Yeah, awesome. Fantastic. So obviously, I'm Mark, you got, you've been in contact with me too. So we've got a targeted sports program at the school, and these are just some of our students that are interested to either listen in on the conversation or maybe even ask you a few questions as well too. Awesome. Uh, I'll say, first of all, don't be stressed about asking me any questions, guys. I am just a normal person. So hit me with anything, literally anything that you want. It could be the most random thing and I'll try and answer it as best as I possibly can. It'll be like being in the classroom, getting those random questions for us too as well. <laughs> this, is, this is Steve Allenson about to join us too. He's a, he's a coach in the program as well too. Awesome. So, so what school are you, are you guys? Sorry? You can tell them guys. Wadawa. 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 So it's just, so obviously when you play for the, you basically, we're Mariners territory. We are. You were at the Jets for a while. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I was. I was there for two years. Yeah. So we're just basically north of Wyong. Oh, nice. So how many kids are in the program? Uh, we're getting, we actually expanded this time. So we've, we've had, a, we've had another coach join us as well too. So we're up to about 70 or so kids now, which is good. And that's, that's across. Really year seven through to year 10 as well. Awesome. Well, I guess, why don't we, why don't we just get into it, eh? Let's do that. And then if they join in, they can join in any time and see how they go. Alrighty. So, how did you originally get involved in soccer? I was originally involved when I was five. I think for me, I always joke about how I never really had a choice that I was always going to play football because my dad's Italian and my mom's Scottish. Um, both sides of the family really involved heavily in football. And uh, when I was five, my father just joined us up in um, just the park soccer down the road from our house. And he was our coach and my mom was my manager. Yep. And that's really how he started. I have a twin brother and an older sister. So it was just easy for us to be able to go down to the park and have everyone play. Um, and yeah, I think it progressed into like me playing into older, older age groups and then playing with my sister and all that kind of stuff. So. Yeah. Um, are they still playing locally at all? Are they brother and sister? No, my brother and sister gave up on the sport a long time ago when I kind of became the sole person that my parents kind of like invested their time into. Cause I was so busy with like, training and programs and like running around that it kind of took both my parents both my parents efforts to be able to manage my load yeah of course i understand totally you know having a few kids I've, that i've got to run around to different sports too as well the same thing yes excellent um so how did you do i know you've obviously probably dealt with a few setbacks in junior things um possibly based on your size early on too but how did you deal with those what did you you know how did you bounce back from those setbacks um, for me, I always say that like I never really, it never really affected me from the setbacks. I think it was just like fuel to the fire. Uh, when I was told that I wasn't good enough or uh, something like that, I always had the belief in myself to be able to do what I wanted to do. I always thought to myself, you know, like I know that I can make it and I'm going to be the best one day. And I think 
that pure desire was kind yeah. of what got me through the younger stages in my life. And um, that's kind of where it really impacts females. I guess it could impact guys as well, but like it's really cutthroat when you're younger, especially when you're not making football New South Wales teams or you're not making like uh, representative teams and stuff like that. And I don't know, I just stuck to my guns and, and I had a great support network with my family. I think my mom and my dad really uh, were there to comfort me and, and push me to be the best that I could be. And I just had a break finally when I was like 15, maybe I was given a chance. And I think that chance was what, what did it for me. And I never let that chance go. Fantastic. So at what age, I guess, were you when you think you kind of could make a career out of it? Uh, when I was 18, I finished high school and I moved from high school and I went overseas. Away. I didn't want to work because I had worked through year 12. I actually left high school. I did a thing called Pathways, which is yep. year 12 over two years, um, purely because I missed too many days um, like leading up into my HSC. I was overseas competing uh, with the under 20s. I was the captain of the under 20s team and we had our championship. So I missed too many days. So I thought, oh, if I'm going to manage my load and I really want to focus on my schooling, I would do it over two years. So as soon as I finished school and I, and I moved on, I instead of going to work, I really wanted to focus on soccer. So I ended up leaving and moving over to America and playing in the second division over there. Although I didn't get paid, I think that was the first glimpse for me of what professional football would be like, yeah. um, moving and living away from home um, at so young and being in a competitive environment with like girls that I've never, I've never known. Like I didn't know anyone. I just like went over there to do one sole job. And I think that was the point where even though I didn't get paid, it was like a, a real life thing for me where I'm like, okay, well maybe if I can do this in America, I can do it anywhere else. And I think that was a point in my life where I was like, I really want to uh, play football for no matter how much money it's going to give me, if it's enough money to live, I think that will be something that I want to follow until I can't do it anymore. Yeah, I think it's interesting because you get that at a young age too. But even I guess at our age, myself and Steve, we've still got that inside of us somewhere as well too. Um, yeah. So were you always a midfielder? Uh, originally a midfielder, yes. Yeah. Um, for a long spell in my career, I played left wing. Still kind of like go out there and play left wing. But originally, yes, I'm in the midfield. And it's purely just because I'm a box-to-box player if I was to identify something. And... Um, for me, it's just about the grunt work and doing all the running that I could possibly do to cover my teammates. So if you've got to line yourself with like a, a Premier League player, for example, what style of men's Premier League player so we'd understand what type of player you are? Mm. I might have to think about that and come back to you about it. Okay. I'll do my research on, on, on one specific player. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, for me, the funny thing is like, so I watch EPL, but I don't follow it. Yeah. Although it sounds really weird, I, I I really enjoy watching the EPL. But for me, I like watching women's football. I think it's, yep. although I should be watching it, everyone tells me I should be watching the EPL. <laughs> it's better for me to really do some homework on the women's game and, and figure out. Because when I first came into the women's game, I really had no idea. Like when I was, so I debuted at 18, 19. I debuted at 19 for the Matildas. And when I literally debuted, I had no idea who I was playing, any player, like what, what, what women's football was because I just never grew up knowing that there was women's football. So it was like my mission to like figure out who I'm playing against, like all these different players from around the world because 
when I stood next to my teammates, like Caitlin Ford and Sam Kerr and all that kind of stuff, they knew every player. They knew from every single country. And I'm standing there and I'm like, I've never, never watched women's football. I don't know who any of these people are. Like, it was a crazy thing. Okay, so can you tell us, I guess, about the people that have been like mentors in your career? I've, I've listened to a few of your interviews and things before and you've mentioned a few people in particular. Yeah, so I think it's funny to think, I always thought to myself, like, you know, how do you get yourself into a position where you've got yourself a mentor and, and sometimes you never really realise who they are until you kind of sit back and say, oh, you rely on that person. Um, but for me... I would say I've got a lot of mentors and in my early stages of my career, I always say that like, I would like to say all the coaches that told me I wasn't good enough were, were my motivators. And for a long time, that was so true, but there's so many coaches out there like Alan Stadjic that have taught me so much about, about how to play, about respecting players, respecting the game, respecting um, myself because being so young and, and being thrown into an environment where you're training, five, six days a week and you're expected to be the best of the best um, and be at the highest level at 16, you're always going to fall down. And, and for him, he didn't take any shit. Excuse my language, sorry. And for me, I was like, I never really understood and I always refer back to um, one time him telling me about my socks at training and how I didn't have the right socks and how it's all about attitude and it's not really about the socks, but it's about the attitude of having every single thing right. Yeah. And... So he's definitely one of my biggest mentors uh, growing up, although we don't stay in contact right now with everything that kind of happened, um, which is really sad, uh, but he's doing big things. Um, he's he Mariners as well, too, he is, yeah. Yeah, and um, Lisa Devana, also a, another massive mentor for me. She, So within the Matildas, we once we get ourselves a roommate, we don't we don't normally change. So Lisa was my roommate for three years. She taught me a lot about respecting the the badge and playing for love and for the sport. And she was a massive influence in my career, um, and still is. And she's the only person that I know that plays with the amount of heart and soul that she does. Yeah. So I would say also ironic effect too as well that we actually I reached out to her as well and she actually recorded some answers to it. So we had her on on, on my podcast the other day too. So. Interesting. Um, can you tell us about, I guess, your debut for Sydney FC and for the Matildas? And, and I guess what was different about from obviously except the um, level that you're playing at? Yeah, when I debuted for Sydney, it was like, uh, I just really came into like train with Sydney when I was 17, 16, 17. And to be fair, it was just to make up numbers and Stadge kind of threw me that line and said, oh, if you want to get better, you should come and train with the big girls. So I said, okay. And um, I was just training with them all through preseason. And just before the season started, uh, a girl uh, got injured and her season was over. So Stadge was like, oh, we've got an injury contract. Would you like to join the team? And I was like, well, of course. Like, of course I want to join the team. Um, not expecting to play at all. Um, so I debuted in Newcastle against Newcastle Jets. And at the time, Lisa was playing for Newcastle. Um, and I, it's, I've got a great photo. I've got, like, shorts that are, like, past my knees, my shirts, like, past my elbows. Like, I look like a skinny little rake in, like, all these massive clothes. And, like, just, just in that one moment, I played for, like, 15 minutes, if that. 
but it was that one moment where I was like, you know, someone's finally giving me, me my chance. Like, and that was my debut for Sydney. And then same kind of thing happened for the national team. I debuted when I was 18 for Hesterine. Um, she did a, a quick stint for the national team. I think she was coach for about a year or so. Um, so I also came into camp because there was an injury in camp and um, I had been on and off with the national team um, really and I didn't really make my way in. I was in a, in a camp and out of a camp and and she brought me in and we are playing a game against China and I took it for granted back then about how important and, and what it really means to play at home and I actually got to play at Win, is, I think it's Wynn Stadium in uh, Wollongong. Wollongong, that's right, yep. Yeah, and uh, we played against China and we won. And I got to play my first game in front of my friends and my family. And that's something that I really cherish right now because it's not something that happens very often. Um, so they're, in cra they're like crazy little moments where, although my career is pretty successful now, back when I started, it was just like all off a whim. You know, it could have been a make or break moment where I could have come into camp and I could have got one chance. And then like so many of the girls that I know, are never back in camp. Yeah. So as a soccer player, I guess, what would you say your best attributes are or your strengths? My strengths are on the field. I think yeah. that, um, you know, I'm that box-to-box -box player that just never gives up. So you can count on me on the, in the 92nd minute to be able to make a run back. Um, and that purely comes down to what my real strengths are, which is just my heart, desire, my attitude. Um, I think they're the biggest things. And I think... People vet, like under, underrate them a lot, and I think it's uh, it's a massive thing. If if you have desire, your body can do so much if your mindset is like set set at one thing. Um, and I, I truly believe there's always one person in that team that can be able to spark up a team without without saying anything. And I think that's me. I think my actions speak louder than my words, and um, I think that's my biggest attribute for the for the national team for any team, you know, uh, that I play in. I really believe, um, like, I really believe in that in myself, that I can come into a team. That's kind of why I'm here in Bristol. Yeah. I chose to, to leave Sydney last year, well, at the start of the year, and come to a team that's coming last in the league over here. And I decided I really wanted a massive challenge when I came over here so that I could get prepared for the Olympics. And the challenge was for me to be able to get a team that was coming last, losing every game to be able to bring them out of relegation and stay in the league. And that was a massive task for me. Uh, this, this team had six injuries and everything like that. I think they just needed a lifeline of a person that really had desire and drive. And I mean, I only get to play one game yeah. uh, while I was here before quarantine hit, but that one game ended up keeping us out of relegation because we won. Uh, and yeah, so it's, it's going to be exciting for this year. Fantastic. Well, actually, that was one of the other questions I was going to tell you because I guess we only kind of hear about how Sam Kerr's going at um, Chelsea and we don't tend to hear about, for example, Bristol City as well. So yep. can you tell us a bit about the team and that? Have you got like other international, other international players there? And Yeah, well, we just signed another Australian. Um, uh, plays for Wanderers, the number six. Um, so over here in England, they've actually got like a rule. So if you are a foreigner and... Um, you want to play in the league and you don't have an EU passport, you have to play 70% of your national team games. So you're the very best of the best that are coming to the league, which I think is really, really cool. Yeah. Um, 
but so for me for Bristol Bristol was was really just a challenge and kind of a foot in the door um to like open up into the league because I had a few teams knocking on my door but I was contracted to Sydney so they were kind of like oh we don't we don't really want to pay um to get you released so Bristol was like lifeline we really need as much help as we can so we'll get you to come over um but like I said I was only really here for two weeks uh the life of a footballer is I arrived and I was meant to play uh, a game against Everton in the cup um quarterfinals and we had a game in Australia and uh, we were playing China I don't know if you guys remember but we we drew one all with them and that um allowed us to top our group to then play Vietnam to yep. get into the Olympics. So we're playing a game in, at home in China. Um, Haley Rasso actually plays for Everton and I play for Bristol and we were really excited about playing each other. So we're like, this whole time, um, she's now my new roommate. So this whole time we were like, oh, we're so excited. I'm going to play you, like blah, blah, blah. Haley ends up breaking her nose and I get a concussion in the game. So Haley stays in Australia. And I fly over to England and can't play the game. Um, so that I'm here for like four or five days, um, not doing anything, finally get back into training and I play one game, season's over. So I was only really here for maybe two weeks, yeah. three weeks if that, um, before the league kind of finished. But uh, pre-season starts in about a week, so I'm super excited about that. I'm halfway through my isolation here in Bristol. Um, but yeah. I'm excited. I'm excited to see. I think Bristol's very much so like Sydney FC. Uh, it's a very like family kind of vibe orientated club, which I really enjoy. There's no big egos. Everyone wants to work hard. Um, our coach is actually Australian. She's from Perth. Um, so that makes it a lot easier for me because I think that's what I've struggled with in the last five years heading to different clubs is really like having clashes with the coaches and, and not, Everyone really talks about this, but it's quite difficult to to go overseas and because I feel like our coaches in Australia are probably the best that I've ever had. You know, I think our coaching system is great. Um, being brought up and I've done my C license and my B license, I think the the amount of information that coaches get is unbelievable, and when it gets higher and higher, it's it's elite um, for them. So for for me to go over to another country where like uh, say in Norway when I was in Norway and get the coaching that I got there and leave a professional league to go to another professional league and not, and it not be as professional as I wanted it to be has been extremely difficult. Yeah. Just one last quick one on the Bristol as well. Where do you play your home games? Cause I've actually been to Bristol. We watched the game years ago. We did an FA Cup. Yeah. yeah. So this year we'll be playing at the men's stadium. Um, okay. But, but, Last year, the girls were playing at where we train, which is like the e ECG or something like that. It's like the university um, stadium, but it's horrible, honestly. <laughs> I think that's the biggest. I think that's the biggest difference, to be honest. Like this league could probably be the best league by far in the whole entire world, like literally past um, the US. But I think the infrastructure and the structures that we have in place within Australia um, with the PFA, which is our player union, um, demand the very best. And I think that's what it lacks over here. Yeah. Uh, like we can't, in the, in the W League, you can't have a, a field that you play at that doesn't have a stadium. Where like for Bristol girls, like there's like standing, it's like a standing area around the field. 
and like a tiny little like seating area up in like the clubhouse. Yeah. Like that that would like never fly in Australia. But it sounds like it's getting a little bit better anyway too. So that's a, that's a positive thing. Um, yeah, so, it's getting heat better. Yeah, I guess you've uh, obviously you referred to your time at the Colorado Pride and I guess you said that was very enjoyable. It was an environment where you felt very supportive as well too. Do you think it's important yep. for people, I guess, to step outside their comfort zone sometimes? Because I know there are sometimes people that will enjoy playing with their friends, but they're not happy to take it to the next level and go into the next, you know, zone or play for another team, you know. So is it important for us to step outside? And obviously you have done that a lot. Yeah, 100%. I think it's it's almost the most important thing because uh, so one of my favourite sayings is get comfortable with being uncomfortable. And that just really means if you want to grow as a player, you have to be uncomfortable. It's going to be a weird feeling, but I mean, you need to be able to grow and be better and, and do better because if you stay inside your box, you, you can only work inside these limitations yeah. and you can only be as good as the box is. No matter if you make the box a little bit bigger, there's still got to be boundaries. Yeah. So for me, when I, when I wanted to be a little bit better or I wanted to be outside my comfort zone or whatever, I just left. I went and played in Sweden. I went and played in Norway, two places where my, my coaches didn't speak English. Well, they did speak English, little English, but they decided, like, I was the only um, English-speaking person in my team in Sweden. So, I mean, that was difficult. I had to, like, sit next to a player and, and kind of just be like, so what did he say? So, and she would give me, like, maybe every three words, he yeah. said this. And I'm like, okay, cool. So I did, like, a whole season like that. And, I mean, it was great. I think it, it taught me a lot. The biggest thing for me is like not everything teaches you something on the football pitch. So for me, when I was in Sweden, it didn't teach me anything on the football pitch, but it taught me a lot about myself and about being by myself and, and really finding myself because I think that's almost as important as what happens on the field because you get comfortable with how your skills are, uh, what you're doing. Um, and I think it really translates from, especially because you're living away from home, it really translates onto the field. Um, and for me, I always think like you need to be doing something more than what everyone else is doing. You know, yeah. if you're too good for your team and you want to step outside the comfort zone, don't be okay with being the best in that team. Go to another team where you're not the best and try and be the best. And then when you do that, move on to another team. Yeah. Excellent. So um, it is noted that you actually did spend a lot bit of time out of the game, you know, when you didn't make the Matildas 2015 World Cup squad. So what did you learn in your time away from the game? I learned how much I took football for granted. I think for me, I, when I didn't make the 2015 team, I ended up leaving the game. I went and worked a landscaping job six, seven days a week, um, which was hard, hard labor. And then I went and traveled for about two months. I did what every normal teenager would want to do. I, I backpacked and I had a lot of fun. I think, I, I think that time in my life really needed to happen for me. Uh, because it changed my whole perspective on football. I thought that, you know, football was depriving me of a normal childhood because I spent so much time at training. I lost countless friends over the fact that I just couldn't hang out with them because I was, like, needing to go to bed. I think I dominated football and, and left myself with nothing. Yeah. I think that time away really taught me how to balance my work life, um, balance, because realistically... There's so many of us, male and female, 
players that leave the game and can't identify themselves as individuals, only as footballers. And I think that's a massive thing that never gets talked about. And it's so big and it's mental health that it's, it's, yeah, I think that was the biggest thing for me because when I didn't make the 2015 World Cup, it was like my world was ending. I thought to myself, you know, I trained so hard, what I thought was so hard um, to get to where I needed to be. And I, and I deserved to be on that plane where I really didn't. I look back now and I thought, I didn't do anything extra outside of what I was normally doing. I didn't try harder than everyone else. I wasn't doing my own running program. I wasn't sourcing my own S&C coach. You know, I wasn't getting proper treatment. Um, so I think that that time then, it took me like a year to realise that. But my time away from football, I remember I was in Italy on the last day of my holiday and I hadn't, this was two months and I hadn't ran, I hadn't exercised. I didn't even do anything outside of like a brisk walk. So I got to the end of the time, like I was thinking about the W League, coming back to the W League. And I was in Italy. I was like, okay, I'm going to go for a run um, on the Amalfi Coast. So it's like hilly, like along the coast. Anyway, I reckon I got about 500 metres and I like couldn't breathe. And I thought to myself, you know, I'm 22, 21, 22. I'm the most unfit I've ever been. I'm, I'm an extremely active person. I've never not trained in my whole entire life. And now I'm like here. I'm, I had gained like seven kilos like, what am I doing with my life? I'm like, honestly, like, where, where do I want to be? What do I want to do? Like, I don't want to go back to landscaping seven days a week where it's really, really hard. Um, so at that point in Italy, I thought to myself, you know, if I train really, really hard, I'm going to move clubs. That's when I went to Newcastle Jets. I'm going to move clubs. I'm going to try and get myself back into the national team. I'm going to do everything that I possibly can um, to do what I need to do to get there. And when I got home, that's exactly what I did. And then ever since then, I had the best coach, um, Craig Deans, which actually stepped in to do the men's job uh, for like, uh, I don't know, I don't even know, like a couple of months. Yeah. Um, and he was honestly probably one of, one of the turning points in my career because he really nurtured me and, and made me re-believe in what I had and, and really made me realise that I could be where I am today. So for him to get me out of that little dark hole, I think was incredible because I was in like a really bad way when I was in Newcastle. Okay, so can you, um, I guess as a 25 year old you are now as well, are there anything you look back at yourself now as a 16 or seven year old just starting out that you could give advice to yourself then? Is there something there that you've learned since that you would say to yourself? Yeah, for me, I would, I would definitely want source to do something more. So for me, I, I did Jonah football. I think he's incredible. Um, and, and realistically, there's a lot of backlash about him. There's, there's things that say like, you know, you're never going to do that on a football field. But to be honest, um, we literally do all these tiny little technical work that I probably will never do on a football field. Let's be realistic. Yeah. All the small touches and, and all these little tricks and everything like that. But the one thing that it has taught me is the fact that I'm way more comfortable on the ball with my left and my right foot. Even if I don't do it in a game, my, my spatial awareness of where the ball is and, and how I am with my feet and if the ball's central or not has improved so much. Um, the next thing that I sourced was uh, S&C coach. Really, really, really like focusing on my body because I was smaller than everyone else. 
So really just being able to get my core strength, um, I would say like that's a massive thing because when I was younger, when I was 16, 17, um, I could literally, you could literally like push me over with one finger. Um, so I think like that would be a massive thing. Yeah. Um, the third thing is away from football. I think you need to have a very good balance of training and a normal life because for me, I invested, I invested everything into football and I think that was a really good thing, but for my mental health, it wasn't good. Like I, I truly believe in mental health right now. And I think it's one thing that we've been really focusing on with the national team in the last two years is just how you wrap your head around football and how you don't like let it take over your whole life. Because if you don't have a good game, I used to fixate on it for a whole day where it's not healthy. You know, I could, I could do a game analysis, get over it, move on. And that's what needs to happen. You need to be able to assess, move on, get to the next game. Because I would, I would end up getting anxiety about what I did in the last game and what I didn't want to do it again. So then I wouldn't be the player that I normally am, but that's what you need to do. So you need to get over those obstacles. So I think uh, like work-life balance and mental health is like another massive thing. Yeah. Um, the three biggest things, I think. And it's, attitude. Attitude is probably number one. I think attitude towards <laughs> how you present yourself, attitude towards training, um, rocking up early, leaving late, getting the gear, all those things like that are little things. Realistically, they don't, don't do anything for you, right? What you think they don't do anything, but they embed these core values within yourself to, to be the best, do the right things, make sure you're on the straight arrow. Because when you get to the elite, it's literally 1% that makes you different from someone else because you're at the highest, highest level. Yeah. So uh, what else do you hope to achieve? I know you got a little bit longer left in your career. Are there any things you're hoping for the future? Yeah, I, I was actually speaking to my uh, Under Armour rep about it because he was because we just obviously got the bid uh, for 2023, and he asked me the same question. Yeah. And I said to him that, you know, I I want to peak at the 2023 World Cup, and he's like, "What do you mean?" I was like, "You know, I I want to peak. I've always said that 28 is going to be my peak year. Like, I've got so much to learn. I need to do so much more." He's like, but your career's been so successful already. I go, no, it hasn't. Hasn't at all. I don't, I don't count my career as being successful one bit. Said, although we've been to an Olympics, I've been to a World Cup, scored at both, like they're really good milestones. I don't see any trophies. I don't see any hardware anywhere in any of my trophy cabinets. Said, yeah, I've been successful with Sydney and I've been successful with a couple of clubs overseas. But for me, that is just like the bottom. It's just the stepping stone. And I have so much more to learn. I'm 25 years old and I've got almost 50 caps for the national team. And there's just so much more information that when I sit down in an analysis, I get mind blown every time because I think to myself, when I know something, when I think I know something, there's 10% more that I don't know. And it's just like about learning and absorbing the information that comes towards you, whether it's criticism towards you. I think that's also another massive thing is, being able to take criticism on board um, and being able to translate that into how you play um, because people are going to criticize you. It's not all like, always about like how good you did. You might come into an analysis and the only thing your coach talks to you about is every bad touch that you did. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. 
Okay, I've got a couple, last couple there then. I guess we'll see if anyone else has got any other ones. Um, can you tell us about the best game that you've been involved in, or most satisfying game that you've been involved in? I think the most satisfying game that I've ever been involved in was definitely the most recent World Cup um, against Brazil. We were losing 2-0 um, leading into the game. It was the second game of our, our group stage, and we had just lost to Italy in the first game. So this game was like... Uh, What's the saying I'm trying to go for? Um, float or swim, um, yep. sink or swim. That's the one. And and we were down two nil in the first half. And <clears throat> for some reason, none of us had this like feeling that we were going to lose, even though that we were two nil two nil down. And um, so coming towards the end of the game, we're actually like playing all over them. I just I don't know how they scored two goals. Um, and it's coming towards the end of the half and. Uh, cross came in and I flicked on a header and Caitlin scored a goal. So we're leading into the into the halftime with 2-1. And I think that was a little bit of motivation for us to be able to go out and, and do what we needed to do. But I think the biggest thing for us was when Ante pulled us in and he, he said to us, oh, it definitely resonated with me. He's like, we're Australian. And Australians love being back to the wall and fighting our way out. And I think he was like, there's no doubt in my mind that we're going to get our job done. We just need to fight. And for me, I was like, oh, yeah, that stuff, like, really gets me going. And so we come out for the second half and we're playing all over them. I think our attitude completely changed. I think a couple of way, things went our way. And then I scored my first World Cup goal. And I think that was, like, a massive moment for me. And then we scored another goal um, and we won 3-2. And I think that game was there's photos of us after the game as, as if we won the World Cup. But for us, it was just like this lifeline to keep us into the World Cup that we had only dreamed of being in. And that was probably the most amazing game for me, um, playing in it and scoring in it. And there was so much more history behind that World Cup because I had obviously missed the 2015 World Cup. Yeah. So for me... Um, yeah, it was incredible to be able to do. And I think the Olympics was amazing as well. But I think that moment for me, I had spent my whole entire career playing for other people. And when I got to that tournament, I said, this will be the first time I don't, I don't dedicate, you know, this tournament to someone else. Like, I want to play for myself. I, I know that I've worked as hard as I can. There's no haters. Everyone is praising me. There's no haters. Um, my family has been there for me from day one. I just want to play for myself because uh, in the lead up to it as well, I, I fractured my leg in the grand final for Sydney FC. So in the lead up, I, I had like two or three months off, which is unheard of. And I didn't know if I was going to make the team. So that was another setback for me. And I was just so grateful to be there um, and have Ante have faith in me being there as well and getting fit. Um, so, yeah, I enjoyed absolutely every single moment of that tournament. Yeah, and as part of that, I guess as well, I've talked about the, uh, your best game, but is have you got a greatest goal that you've ever scored? Um, Stand out. To be, to be honest, I was actually looking through my goals again, um, and probably my greatest goal would be it wouldn't even be with the national team, um, scoring in the grand final uh, with Sydney FC the last time we won, not last year, the year before. I think was probably probably one of the best goals in my career because we had lost the year before um, to uh, Melbourne, uh, Sydney. 
and we were playing Perth and uh, we lost to City at, at, uh, in Australia, um, sorry, in Sydney and in front of my friends and my family. And I said, never again will that ever happen. I'm never going to lose in front of my friends and family again um, in a grand final. And I think that was probably one of the best games that Sydney's ever played together. I think we had an incredible team um, and we won 4-2. Yeah. And it was just an amazing feeling to be able to do it in front of my, my friends and my family because the first time I, I won, we were in um, Melbourne. So it was my second title. And it was also kind of a coming of age, I guess. It was a time for me to be able to be the senior player in that team. Yeah. Um, especially because I, I grew up and I debuted there and, and I had spent six years of my career at that club. Um, I think it was just an amazing moment. Yeah, I think it's interesting that you attach your greatest matches and goals to memories and, you know, the, the, the environment at the time too as well, you know what I mean? So it's not necessarily the skill of the goal, it's the, what was going on at the time too, so. Yeah, 100%. I think, um, I think that's a lot for everyone. I think, well, for me individually, I, I, I'm a very passionate, family-orientated person and a lot of my things come from a deeper meaning and source. Um, even from from my goal at, uh, against Brazil at the World Cup, I did a celebration that was a superwoman, um, purely from a teammate of mine, uh, Laura Alloway. She was number five. She always sits next to me in the locker room. And then lead up to it, um, she's a centre-back and we had done all the training camps. We, we were literally a couple of days out and she actually was getting this pain in her foot and she was like oh, I don't want to worry about it don't want to worry about it and then our doc was like okay let's go get a scan um and she ended up fracturing her foot a bone in her foot she had a stress fracture in her foot and then a couple of days later it actually fractured she yeah. had surgery but she ended up missing out on the tournament um and she's kind of like a, a mentor for me as well always kind of like a big sister to to be able to talk to um and she used to sing to me, it kind of sounds a bit weird, but she used to sing Superwoman to me before I left, okay. calm my nerves. Um, so yeah, so when I, when I celebrated, it was definitely for her. And there's a lot more behind it because for us, we spend, I spend more time with my team and with the national team than I do with my family. A hundred percent. In the last seven years, I reckon... I've spent more time with, with my national team than I have with my family. And it says a lot about all of us. And we are as close as the family is. We fight like family. Uh, we do everything. And, and it is a major moment for us because, you know, we go through all this hard work and effort together. And when we are successful, it's just an amazing feeling, more than any other family member would, would understand. Yeah. Um, okay, so I'm just going to throw it out there. If anyone else that's listening has got a question they want to ask at all, is anyone out there that? Or are we going to be are we going to be left staring at each other? I think are we? <laughs> I don't know that, Mark, but I think you covered everything. Zoe's kind of got a thumbs up. So are you going to ask something, Zoe? Um. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, sorry. All yours. So what's your favourite part about soccer? My favourite part about soccer would probably be the, ama the amazing places that I have travelled to, um, the amazing people that I've met along the way. I'm 25 years old and I've travelled to over 30 countries. I've played in about 25 of them. Um, I can say that I have friends all over the world. I've lived in 
four countries and I think at such a young age I feel like I'm kind of really old because I feel like I've been able to be around so many cultures and around so many other people that my perspective on life has changed. Uh, I'm very grateful for where I live. I'm very proud to be Australian. Um, so I think with football, I think it, although right now is my career and when I finish football, uh, I will be finished, but I think the impact it's had on my life will follow me for the rest of my life. So I think that's what um, I take most out of football and I think that's what I enjoy about it the most. Good question, Zoe. There you go, well done, Zoe. <laughs> Anybody else at all there, guys? Um, who's your favourite player to play on the field with? My favourite player to play on the field with would probably be... I guess you've got so many from it's hard to kind of pick one, is it? Yeah, I'm trying. I mean, I was going to go by country and then I was going to go... So, it's really hard. Like, I enjoy playing with every single player in my national team. I think yeah. I enjoy every style that they have. Um, I really like playing with Rose Lavelle from the U.S. national team. Um, I played with her when I was in America, and I think uh, the way that she plays, so fluent on the ball. Um, yeah, let's keep it with that. Just keep it with one international player. Sounds good. <laughs> Come on, boys. I know you would have a question. You're sitting there looking. Come on. I'm sure there's something you want to ask. Um, how does it feel when you score a goal? It's pretty incredible. I think going back to the goal at the World Cup, when you score, it's just like an overwhelming feeling of like relief, I guess you could say. Just the amount of effort that you've put in, the, the time, the stress. Um, I think it's incredible and I think the best feeling in the world is pulling on the Australian jersey and doing it for your whole entire country, not just yourself and your family and making everyone proud. Um, it's a feeling that I can't really express any more than that, but something that I hope that you guys get to try one day, but it's just, yeah, I can't, I can't be any more proud to be Australian and to pull it on with my sisters is, is something that's, that will, I will always cherish. Anybody else there, guys? Um, I've just got two more questions. Uh, first one is, when you, like, go away on, like, the plane and stuff, do you, like, stay, like, where you are, or do you have to go straight away? Um, that's a really good question. No, that's a really good question, because, so when we, when we have tournaments, um, normally, we're not allowed to stay away, like, we're not allowed to stay over a couple of days, because we have to to go back to our clubs overseas um which has been i mean very sad for a couple of people so when we were at the olympics um, when we when we got knocked out just before the the semi-finals um a lot of the girls in the nwsl had to leave straight away like i'm telling you like the next day to go back to the, uh, the nwsl um and unfortunately they weren't able to experience what it was like to go to a clothing ceremony, something that may never ever happen in their career again. Um, I was fortunate enough that I was staying in a, in a Swedish team and I was like, them, like I'm going to stay because, you know, I, I, 
I would like to stay. And my coach was nice enough to let me see a closing ceremony. Um, but not all of us get that opportunity to. So when we were football, the best thing about football is it takes you to countries that you would never go to unless you're playing. Um, so we were playing our Asian Cup um, in Jordan. And um, I would never have traveled there unless I was playing football. And the tournament had ended and we had a 24-hour period where we could stay one extra day um, and leave the following afternoon. Well, the 24 hours the following afternoon after that. So there was five of us and we were like, okay, we're, gonna, we're definitely going to capitalize on this 24 hours. And, and you're probably thinking 24 hours isn't enough time to be able to do something. But for us, that's like long and so we decided that we were going to rent some vans we were going to go out to um, the, mil the middle of the desert and camp out in the middle of the desert as well as go to Petra which is one of the wonders of the world um, and probably that was like the best 24 hours of my life I think we slept for maybe three hours we, we went out to Wadi Rum uh, which was incredible we went and camped at this little campsite we had like elders go and take us and have tea in the middle of the desert at like 11.30 at night with like amazing stars above us. We went camel riding at six o'clock in the morning. Then we went juning um, straight after that. We also walked about 15 Ks in, in Petra. Um, and then we all just came home and, and, and left and went back to our clubs. And I think their experiences that I, I think that, that place was beautiful and I'll go back there. But unless I played football, I wouldn't have went there. And um, yeah, so that was really, really cool. It doesn't really happen very often, but when we do get a chance, we like to travel. And although I've been to about 30 countries, I've probably only seen four walls and a football pitch in majority of them. Yeah. You have another one there, Zoe? Um, yeah. And the last um, question was like, do your um, like family come with you and watch your games? When I'm in Australia or when I'm overseas? Um, both. <laughs> so my family, my family does an amazing job. I'm very blessed with um, having the family that I have. They always want to travel and they always want to see me. Um, and that's my extended family as well. So my aunties and my uncles and my cousins and everything like that. Um, when I'm in Australia, honestly, my parents come to almost every single game still. Um, and I love it so much. I think I used to get embarrassed by it uh, when I was younger, uh, knowing that my parents are yeah. coming to every state game. But to be fair, it's, it's amazing because my parents spent so much of their time and effort. What I didn't realise is their time and effort driving me around and paying for everything and putting in just as much effort as me just off the field that I never really realised how much it was until I'm older, until I'm 25. And um, every time they come now, I'm, I'm extremely grateful for it. Um, but when I'm overseas, no. Um, my, my family tries to come every now and again, but because they work and, and I play overseas, I can go seven, eight months without seeing my family. But my family do travel around the world to come and watch me play when we play in major tournaments like the World Cup. I had, I mean, I think I had like, 12 family members come over so it's my whole entire family my, my twin brother my sister my mom my dad her fiance my auntie my uncle 
two other auntie and uncles from overseas. My nonna, like, I just had so many family members there. And I think, and my best friend, two of my best friends. It's just, I'm extremely blessed with the, um, the amount of support that I have and the network that I have um, really backing me to be, um, be the best and, and a great environment to be around. I've actually got another question for you too as well. Have you ever been starstruck with anyone you've met, soccer related or even just famous people, as, as you are a famous soccer player? Has anyone you ever kind of just met and you're like, wow, oh my God, it's... A hundred percent. I think I fangirl over Marta all the time. Um, I played, I play against her again when we play um, Brazil and I played, I've trained with her for Orlando Pride. I think I get starstruck with her because she was an incredible footballer, one of the greatest players and um, another player, which is from Brazil, which is Famiga. She's like 42. And when I played against her at the Olympics, um, I was, it was my job to be able to mark her. And I was like, being this young kid, I was like, oh yeah, I got this. Like, she's like 38, you know, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna run her into the ground. Little did I know that she was gonna do that to me. Um, her wisdom and the way she sees football and the way she plays is just unbelievable. And I think those two Brazilian players just really like, every single time I see them, I'm starstruck, no matter how many times I've met them or played against them. The amount of respect that I have for them is just, yeah. Is there like anyone, anyone in soccer that you, same thing that you've come across? Um, not really, to be honest. I think, I think you guys think that we're famous, and I, I really like that. I think that's really cute. Um, but to, to me, I mean, I don't, I don't ever, I don't think I'll ever count myself as famous. I, I just think I'm just a normal person that was born and raised in Western Sydney, and and you know, um, but. No, I wish I could say I met famous people, but unfortunately, yeah. no. Well, I guess even, even if you give off that vibe of, you know, everyday kind of person, you are inspiring, like even just the girls in our program. And if they see you as a superstar and that inspires them, I, I think that's great too. Yeah, I, I, I don't take the role of being uh, a role model lightly. I think it's an amazing thing. And for me, when I was growing up, I never had a female role model to be able to look up to. Um, and I think that says a lot about how the women's game has changed. Um, but for me to be able to, for me thinking about inspiring younger girls, it really, really makes me happy. Um, no matter at what form it is, I think I really truly believe if you want to be a race car driver, you want to be a chef, you want to do anything, if I can inspire you to be the best that you want to be and work as hard as you can in whatever form you want to, uh, uh, that's good for me. You know, I think um, there's not enough people out there. And I think some athletes, really get lost in the fact that we are role models and although we we lead by example sometimes it's nice to be able to sit down and, sp and speak to someone younger than us and tell them all about our wisdom and what we have to hand down to them yeah Has anybody else got anything they'd like to say um sorry just one last question that's okay don't be sorry at all i'm here <laughs> um how old were you when you first started playing soccer I was five when I first started playing soccer. And then, uh, yeah. And then from five, I played all the way up until I was 11 with boys. And then when I was 11, I got scouted. Actually, funny story about when I was 11. Um, so I played at the park down the road from my house. And um, it was just one rainy weekend. 
and um, it was the first game that my mum had never come to. My mum always was worried about if she didn't come to a game, I'd, I would get injured. But my brother was actually really, really sick and she had to take him to the doctors. So while they were at the doctors, my dad was watching me and it was pouring down rain. And this goalkeeper bombed the ball and it went so high and I was about to head it. And as I was about to head it, someone nudged me in the back. So I was about to go for a header and it hit like almost where my bun is at the back of my head. I dropped to the floor, completely paralyzed from my neck down um, for eight hours. I couldn't move. Ambulance got called and I was in hospital and I had like ripped all the neck tissue in my neck. Um, and I couldn't feel anything for, for a long time. And, uh, that was like one of the scariest moments in my life, not thinking about not being able to walk again at 11 years old. Yeah. Um, but I was like really fortunate enough to, you know, obviously get all, all my feeling back and not have any, any damage. Um, my body just went into major shock. Um, and that's why it shut my body down. Um, so the week after that, when I got cleared to play, um, I actually ended up getting scouted by an all-female club, the Northwest Sydney Koalas. Um, and that started my my female career playing in football. And I played with them all the way until I was 16, which was kind of a short career. Um, but when I was 16, I moved schools and I went to a sports school, the Hill Sports High School, where I had Alan Stadjic as my coach. And at 16... I ended up starting with Sydney FC. I was in this school program. I was training a lot. Um, so then when I signed my full contract the following year after the injury contract, I wasn't allowed to play in any other team. I could only play for Sydney FC. I had to stop playing futsal, which was so sad. Mm. Um, and that was kind of the start of my semi-professional career at 16 years old. And then I moved um, overseas when I was 18 and it kind of just progressed from there. Um, yeah. Excellent. Good question there, Zoe. Anybody else at all, guys? No? You guys don't want to know about what happens in the changing room? You guys don't want to know about if there's any pre-game routines? Do you have any superstitions before games at all? Anything like that? Like you put a certain boot on before the other or anything like that? Yeah. I, uh, I, I wouldn't say they're superstitions, but I'm, I'm very much so a person of routine. I think once I have my routine for game day, I wake up for playing a night game, which is most likely. Um, we wake up, we go to breakfast. Um, and after breakfast at like about 10 o'clock, we have a team walk and a meeting, um, which everyone really does. And after that, we have lunch. Uh, and I take a nap between lunchtime and the game. I think it's like really important to be able to not get tired and kind of just maximize your energy. But after the the nap, I wake up, I make my bed, uh, I fold all my clothes that I need um, out for the day, um, which includes like my toiletry bag, my thongs. There's like so much you guys need to bring to a game. It's ridiculous. Um, uh, make sure that I have my boots and my shin pads. I literally lay it out all on my bed to make sure that it's all there so I don't ever forget anything because that would probably be the worst thing that's ever happened. Uh, which has happened in the national team recently. Someone forgot their boots, but luckily there's a lot of girls in the team that are around the same size. Um, and then when that all happens, we get on the bus and we go to the game. 
we actually have a pre-match meal, sorry, um, a pre-match meal before we go, three hours, give or take, before the game. Um, then we get to the game and I have uh, photos that I put up in my locker and I also got a gift from a fan. It was a necklace that was an angel. When my grandmother passed away, um, the, the, the day before an international game we had against China, um, yeah, I scored my I scored my first goal uh, that game, and a fan gave me this necklace that was an angel, and and just said sorry about my loss, and and I think that really hit home a lot. And ever since then, which has been like four years, I've had that necklace, and I put it in my locker uh, above my jersey for every single game. Um, and I put my shin pads in the back of my my leg before I go out for um, the warm up, but that's about it. It's just about routine for me. But beyond, I guess, the coaching, assistant coaches, what other entourages are there? You've got masseuses, you've got other people like that at all that help out? Yeah, so our, our staff, um, when we travel, is almost as, as there's almost more staff than there are players. Um, sometimes when we travel, so when we travel, we have obviously our coach, our, uh, our head coach, our assistant coach, and then our second assistant coach coach we have two video analysis we have a goalkeeper coach um we have an snc coach um we have our psychologist um we have media we have two physiotherapists a massage therapist um when we travel to to asian countries and and all that kind of stuff we we bring our own chef um, which is honestly so important. Uh, it might sound a little bit bougie, but when we go to countries like China and we go to Vietnam, um, being able to go into the kitchen and seeing what produce that we're using and having him determine what we eat and everything like that is vital because yeah. when we were younger and we used to go to China, like I've been to China so many times, and when we were younger and we used to go to China, like we're... 15 year old kids, the only thing we would eat for two weeks is rice because like we didn't know what anything else was. Um, so yeah, so that's about it. So I think I just counted like maybe 15, 16 people. Yep. You just remind me stories of the like eighties, nineties Australian cricket team going over to India and stuff. <laughs> no shame was famous for only eating baked beans on his first few tours. Yep. I, uh, I used to travel that. with two minute noodles uh, and cup of soups. And I think, I used to come back like maybe three or four kilos lighter. Honestly, because when wow. you're there, like, especially when you're younger, they, they don't have chefs and everything like that. We used to like rock up and the food was there. It was like labeled chicken, but it was like, it wasn't white. So you're like, it's not chicken. And then there would be like chicken feet, like, but like they would eat that. So it's like, well, we're definitely not going to eat that. And the only thing that we knew was the right thing was rice and cereal. So that became like our main diet. Um, when we were younger, but yeah, we're definitely, definitely privileged with what we have with the national team. Um, all very, very vital roles that every single person plays. Um, I think our key people are our, our video analysis. They work tirelessly around the clock, literally going and filming other people's games and coming back and doing our analysis for us. We have two of the best people, I think one of the best girls in the whole entire world with analysis and what she can do with the videos is unbelievable. We're talking about 
if we're playing a game and she freeze frames something, she can move players into the positions that we need them to be. And it's like, I don't, I've never seen anything like it. So, yeah, very lucky in that respect. As part of that, I guess, do you also do the trackers? Like, you know, the, the, the way there's like prop top men's things, they do all that stats as well? Oh, there you go. Yes. Yeah, so so we, all, we all have our own, like, we call them like little nuggets. Um, so every single player has their own when we go to training. But when we're in our own clubs individually, uh, we've all been given an Apple Watch. And this tracks every single move that we do. So we have an application that we use. Um, it's called Eclipse. And inside it, we track every single session that we do. And they can see our heart rate, how hard we're working, how long we work for. Um, although on top of that, we also have this pro do every single morning, which outlines how we slept. And um, we call it almost like Big Brother, like they're always watching. Um, but yeah, so uh, there's... Oh, there's a lot of things that happens around the clock and um, we do Zoom calls during quarantine every Wednesday um, to keep up uh, with each other and how we're doing and we're doing video analysis on right now we're doing the Netherlands and we've been doing that for two weeks but we just spent like a good four week block on just doing individual stuff for ourselves that we normally wouldn't get in touch with if we were actually training because we don't have the time to so it's been nice I guess quarantine's been nice for that yep. but for us individually um when we go into camp we do double days i think the biggest thing and transition that you have from going from semi-professional to professional is just the amount of detail that goes into what you're doing so for us when we have training we have a, a video uh, a video session before every single training um it goes for about 15, 20 minutes and it outlines everything that we're doing outlines who's. So if we have two drills to say two square drills, um, it tells you where you need to be. So when you get to training, there's no questions. There's no, there's no like waiting on the coach to tell us where to go. Like everyone knows their positions. We get in and out and that's just like how it's done. Everything's run on the clock and it's honestly down to the T perfectly um, planned. I always say, I know as coaches, even just myself and Steve, sometimes trying to explain a drill and that takes half the time trying to set it up and yep. stand and everything like that. Yeah, exactly. So I guess that eliminates the, the question. And there's still questions that happen on the field if we don't understand. But it's, I think for me, that this is the first time a coach has actually done um, video sessions before every single training session. And I think it's been a massive difference for us because we all know our role before we get to the, to the field and like when we rock up we just get the job done and leave there's no questions there's no messing around um yeah Were you, um... routine and things like that um uh you kind of alluded to a few things you spoke about your game day routine do you pretty much routine sort of predate game day or like obviously you've spoke about a few things you do regularly throughout the week um, yeah i mean I mean, when we go into camp anyway, the routine is, is very structured. We get um, a schedule every single day outlining what we do for when we wake up and sleep. And it's packed. I mean, I've tried to balance being able to see family when I'm at home. Um, but I think the biggest thing that I found out is, like, I don't really like structure outside of game day. I think it's good for me. I think, like, I really like structure, but I think – it's a mental switch for me. And for the last two years, we've really spoken about how to mentally switch on and off from a game. 
Um, so for me, I only do that routine on game day. Uh, I don't do it for anything else. And it really gets me prepared for, for what I'm doing. And um, there's small little signals that, that switch my brain on to be able to do it. Um, if that's kind of an answer that kind of answers. Yeah, the no, that's, that's great. Yeah. We, we really like the last two years, it's, it's been interesting because I never really, I never really believed in, in having a routine and having a process for everything. I think like you kind of like go off the whim sometimes, but for me, um, one of the psychologists that we had that came into the national team two years ago really taught me something about processes and at least having an outline. So they were thinking about how if we were to go into a penalty shootout, um, she was like, okay, cool. Everyone take a piece of paper and outline. If we were going in a penalty shootout, which, which direction would you go? It was like five questions. Which direction would you go? Um, what happens if you have to retake the ball? What happens if the goalkeeper does this, this, and this? And like, what is your, what is your structure and your outline for, for a penalty? And for me, I was like, oh, I always go one way. I, I'm never going to change that. Um, blah, blah, blah. But she brought me into a scenario. She was like, okay, what happens if you were set in your way and there's 60,000 people in this stadium, which happened to me at the Olympics. There was 60,000 60, people in the stadium when we had a penalty shootout and I took a penalty. She goes, okay, what happens if you put the ball in the position that you wanted to and that was the exact position that you wanted to and as you were running up to the ball, the ball moved. And you had to retake the penalty. And I was like, I was like, I don't know. I'll probably freak out because there's 60,000 people there. She's like, you need to have a process in place to make sure if that happens, you've got a plan B. Or if you're going to, you're just going to stick to it. Because I said to her, or oh, if that happened, I would have changed ways. She goes, why? Go, I don't know. Because, you know, I would have thought the keeper knew where I was going. She goes, no, you need to like, okay, if that's going to be your structure, then you have that as your structure. So for the last two years, I've literally been working on penalties and because that haunts me, but I've, I have a process now. So if, if some one thing fails, I have a plan B or something like that. So it's just like one facet of like that area that like I thought to myself, oh, I know what I'm going to do, but get like it gets down to it and I really don't know what I'm going to do. So I've had this process now on, on what I'm going to do if plan A, plan B or plan C happens, you know? What about, uh, I was going to ask you quickly about the diet. So what do you eat? Like, you know, breakfast, lunch, dinner kind of things. What type of foods? Yeah. Um, so I, I go in and out of, I, I wouldn't really say it, it's a diet. I would go in and out of how strict I eat. Um, I think it's also another thing about balancing your life. Um, Cause I went really, really strict for a long time. Um, and it wasn't just, I mean, it, it really depends on individual people. Some people can, can be on the strictest diet for their whole life and they'll be fine. But I, I come from an Italian family where, you know, we just love food. Um, so for me, I ended up getting this test. Uh, it was like a massive swab test and it tells me, breaks down what food that is good for me, what my body can metabolize and, and can't metabolize. Um, and I actually found out that my body really loves carbs, which Thank goodness. So my diet really relies heavily on carbs. Um, so it's good. Uh, uh, I love pasta. So that's, that's amazing. No, but what I eat for breakfast in the morning is I normally have um, potatoes for my carbs and I, and I have two, three eggs, some bacon. Um, and when I get a bit frisky, I end up having like a burrito. 
Um, so that's always good. Um, and then for lunch, it really depends. I either can have like a sandwich or I have salad or I have uh, a salmon salad, which is amazing. Um, depends really where I go and what I'm doing as well. Uh, also depends on how hard I train. Uh, I'm, I'll have a shake or two in between that. Um, my carb and my calorie intake is a lot higher than a normal person because I burn so many more calories than the average person does. Um, so I can actually eat an incredible amount of food for how big I am. Um, and then it comes to dinner. Um, last night I just had pasta. Um, but it really varies. I, I, I'm not a vegan. I'm not a vegetarian. So, you know, I'm all about steak and, and everything like that. So my, Biggest thing is we have a nutritionist uh, with the national team and it's just about taking the time to really use her, which I haven't yet, um, but she's a new addition to the team. So I think I do pretty well with my diet, but when we get into the national team, I, I kind of cut out carbs, which is a big thing for me. It puts me in this like weird zone. I don't know. It's weird. Um, gets me really ready for the for the tournament and then just before the tournament starts I start having carbs again it kind of refuels my body um, and definitely in recovery stage as well but majority of the girls if you tell them uh, our diet really relies heavily on mass amounts of coffee um, it becomes the social part of what we do when we're in camp um, it's kind of like all our escapes from from what we're doing if we have a really hard training session and we're all like oh let's just go sit down relax and have a coffee um, yeah yeah actually we found it hard to get good coffee in england oh it may it's a joke if you can see i i have an espresso machine and all i have is a, a little espresso shot um england is horrible for coffee i mean i, yep. I think we're, i think we're just like really lucky in australia with how good our coffee is it kind of is a blessing and curse all in one. Yeah, I spent three months there recently and it was, it was the death. <laughs> yeah, but I guess, I mean, I've lived in America for two years, so I guess, like, I'm kind of used to... I'm kind of used to having not great coffee until you come home. Yeah. Okay, how are we all going there, guys? Does anyone want to say something else at all? Boys, you don't have any questions? What do you guys, let me, I have a question for you guys. What do you do in your training, training life to be better than everyone else? Or do you guys go outside your comfort zone to be better or anything like that? Do you guys see yourself playing in the A-League or playing with the Socceroos? You don't see yourself playing with the Socceroos? I do. <laughs> I guess it's really hard because with our coaching sessions at the moment, um, COVID's still going on. We've only just started to get back into just big group sessions as well too. Um, today, literally, yeah. is where we can start to have more people training in contact situations too as well. So it's been, this year has been really, obviously for everybody, really weird. Yeah, it's, it's just a write-off year, you could say. Yeah. What about you guys? Anything else you want to... What are you guys doing to push yourself beyond... Do you get out and kick a ball against the wall by yourself? Do you? No? No. On your weak foot, maybe? <laughs> do a lot of training sessions. Mm-hmm. Right. 
What's the hardest part about training, do you think, for you guys? The probably the repetitive, like, this, like, same things. Yeah, repetitive sessions. Yeah, they're really, really boring. I can, I can definitely say that. But the only thing that I can say about repetitive sessions is, for me, when I was, when I was younger and we were learning how to play the process, what Alan Stadjic had, we used to, in pre-season, was horrible. It was honestly horrible. But he wanted to teach us how, how he wants us to defend from the front third. So for the whole of pre-season, we used to train, we used to warm up, and then we used to do this, like, three strikers against the rest of the team. Like, and the rest of the team used to try and build up, and we used to try and, like, defend them. Um, and that would go on. I remember one session. So until we understood what it meant, we would do it for like 20 minutes, but one session we like, we for some reason just like couldn't comprehend how to do it. We did it for the whole session, like an hour and a half of just like defending and it was horrible. But, but I feel like I, although at that time it really sucked, I think right now it taught me so much about the position that I was in as a left winger and how to play that position. I could probably literally play it in my sleep 100%. And I can tell you what happens in every single position in my whole entire team, from the goalkeeper all the way to the number nine. And that was only because we learned the process of it. And from that, Stadge was so successful in his career because every player knew what they were doing and knew what their next door neighbour was doing as well. Yeah, I think it's important as a junior, obviously they don't get them used to playing positions. It's just getting a feel for a, very, a variety of different positions first. And that is really important too, unless you're stuck in goal. Yeah, yeah and then that. And that kind of <laughs> a little bit, but anyway. <laughs> Any more questions, guys? Honestly, you can literally ask me anything. Doesn't have to were be about. You, were you excited um, when you heard that um, the, the Australia was like um, hosting yeah. the FIFA? Yeah, I cried. Like, I really did. I'm not sad about it either. I mean, I cried with pure joy um, to be able to host a, t a World Cup on home soil. One will change the way sport is perceived within Australia because I, I truly believe that we're not football fanatics. We're not fanatics in any, in any respect besides AFL. Um, so for me, it was just this overwhelming feeling of I was so proud, but never in my life did I think that this would ever happen during my career. Um, to be yes. able to see where, where we've come from with the Matildas and, and the women's game and to see where it's at now. Um, playing at home in front of a sold-out crowd um, in Western Sydney um, had the exact same feeling. So to be able to think about that on a bigger scale in three years, selling out, you know, ANZ Stadium um, and having 50,000 Australians, because I know if we were to play at home, it'll be hard for the other team to have any part of a grandstand because I know Australia will be like supporting us and yeah. to have that amount of support, just like, I don't know, just like it blows me away to be able to do that. And I can, this is only like the smallest feeling. I wonder what this felt like to host the Olympics in 2000, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. I'm extremely yeah. excited. I think it's going to be like, I think it's going to change the women's game um, for the next 20 to 30 years. And I'm yeah. excited to see where that takes it. Yeah. Yeah, I was quite excited too because I knew that I'd be able to come to most of the games as well. 
that's that's the that's the other thing. I think for me, it was about family members that can't travel overseas being able to see me play. You know, before before you know uh, things happen, and I think yeah, I think it's going to be incredible because the amount of players the amount of young girls that come to W League games and would love to watch us play in the national team that wake up at three o'clock in the morning to watch us play, to be able to just go to a game or, or you know, make their whole entire life, which is an amazing feeling. Yeah. I think even introducing new people to the sport too as well, like, you know I mean? It'll be, it'll be great for that as well. I think it's, I think it's way bigger than football. This whole thing about the Women's World Cup is way bigger than football. I think it will, one, bring more people to the sport. But, you know, with everything that's happened with COVID-19 and the bushfires and, and everything that's happened in this last year and a half, I think there's something to look forward to from uh, a business point of view, bringing in so many people from around the world and having this having this like goal in three years that there's we're going to host something. It's going to boost our economy. And yeah. I think... It's going to be amazing for Australia to finally have something of this magnitude to come back. And um, and I'm so glad it's going to be on our form because I think the Matildas are the most beloved uh, team within Australia, male or female. And I think it's finally rewarding all the hard work that uh, everyone in FFA and everyone in the national team and all the past Matildas yeah. have worked so hard for. Speaking about optimism for the future and, and things like that, I guess a bit of a new tact. Um, is there anyone that you've that you've seen up and coming through the ranks that you're excited to to be moving play through? The, oh, whether to play with or yeah, I guess so at, at the national level. Yeah. Um, to be fair, the majority of us don't spend enough time at home to be able to see the real. Um, players that are coming through uh, at almost grassroots level and, and coming through that way. Um, but there are a few promising people in the Matildas that are coming through that are 17 or 18. But I think for the best part, I think the national team has been one to uh, debut our players at such a young age where for the last, I think this is the longest period where it's gone, where there hasn't been any um, debut people coming in um, for like a year and a half, which is incredible for us because I feel like the older that we get, the more time that we spend together and the, the less the team changes. I think the culture needs to change where we're, we're not bringing in young people and having a young team where we actually have an older team with experience and then bringing in one or two players, which I think like the, the best teams in the world have, which is like uh, the German team, the US team, um, all of that, where they're, they've only like the US team up until two years ago, they never had anyone under the age of 22. Um, so for us, our whole team yeah. two years ago was uh, full of, our average age was like 23. We, yeah. our, I think there was only three or four people that were old and then the rest of us were like 25, 26, um, all the way down to 17. Um, so for us right now, we have, have this like age group where we're getting a lot older and we have so much more experience and, and kind of like changing hopefully the way the Matildas are in that respect that's the best part um, I think we need to nurture the young people and keep them almost in their age group and, and let them 
like maybe move up a couple of age groups, but keep them there until they're really, really ready to come into the whims game. Do you get any like young people ever just training? Like when you do play Matilda's games in Australia, do you like just to train with the squad to get, get the feel of it? Not necessarily included in games, but does that ever happen? Uh, some some girls come in and out, yeah. So we have the institute that's been running for I think the program's been running for a year and a half, two years. Um, so whenever we're uh, well, technically no, not with the national team, but when we're with Sydney FC, we have institute girls come in uh, with the national team. If you want to bring any people in, um, unless you're playing against them, you have to be paid. So um, they kind of left up into like the young Matildas that are coming in. But we've had like maybe. Uh, when we had a camp in Australia, not everyone could come back and play. We had a couple of young Matildas come in and, and fill in those positions. And it was nice to be able to have the young Matildas come in and kind of like guide them and show them what, what it's like to kind of be in, in the national team. And I think they got a shock on how like professional it was. Uh, it's a big step from 20s to the national team. Um, it really, really is. Um, so that was good, but it's been a while. I think it's been nice that it's been a while. Um, because now everyone's comfortable with each other. We don't really have to teach anyone the way and, and kind of nurture them. It's more about just focusing on what football's like. Anybody else, guys? Come on. <laughs> I don't think I have any more questions. No. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, it is kind of getting probably on for dinner time for some people. Um, so you've got, uh, you've done other calls already, have you, Chloe? Like, you know, obviously you said Wednesdays you do this type of thing, or have you got them after this? Yeah, so national team normally happens around midday, um, and then Bristol's at seven p.m. tonight. Um, so today it's it's on and off raining, um, so I'll probably have to do a session in between this and the national team. Um, and then I'll do some studies after, which keeps me occupied uh, when I'm not when I'm not. Your interior design is it? You're studying? Yeah, correct. Yep. So I've actually had a lot of fun doing the course, and uh, a lot of us study while we're playing because yes, uh, we have a lot of downtime to be able to do it. Uh, and the national team also helps us in that regard because uh, they support us in all the courses that we do, uh, which is incredible. Um, it's another thing about distinguishing the difference between being an athlete and being a, a person as well. So when we leave the game, we have something to, to fall back onto, which is very important, which uh, only in the last few years has really kind of been pushed heavily on the women's game um, and the men's game with the PFA. Um, Excellent. Yeah. Well, I guess if no one else has got anything to say, we just want to say thank you very much, Chloe, for um, doing this. If ever you're up our way at Waddell, we've got an open invitation to come and Give us a hand, I guess, with our TSP program. Amazing. That, well, yeah, I'll, I'll definitely. Once I'm, well, my nonna lives in um, Fingal Bay, so I'm always driving yeah. kind of past that way. So maybe next time in Australia, which will have to be in, in about a year. Um, that's <laughs> the next time I'll be in Australia. Um, I'll definitely hit you guys up because I'll be, I'll be heading out there again. Sounds great. Awesome, Chloe. Thank you very much for your time. Thanks for all, everyone joining in too, guys. It was great. No worries, guys. Thank, Thank you so much. You. Appreciate Thank it. You. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.